AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T Threat Track. Uh, Matt, there's some attacks against uh, Citrix and the Netscaler gateway. Yep, so this actually started back in uh, December. Uh, this bug was disclosed on December 16th. Uh, it's a bug in the Netscalers um, and also the Netscaler gateways. Um, discovered by this group Positive Technologies, who's been releasing bugs for a while. And it affects a bunch of different versions. And you know, at, at first glance, it's directory traversal. So basically, if you've got a URL and you can you know, go up a directory, usually I do a dot dot slash. Um, but you can, you know, it's not supposed to let you out of a certain restricted directory. But by doing this, you can kind of break out and poke around the system to where you're not supposed to be, um, which is bad enough. But this is also a command execution bug. So if you can use this uh, to run arbitrary commands um, on these victim net, net, um, net scaler boxes, which is a problem because then people can download malware and go on there, pivot down to the network. It's a big deal. Um, so there is active exploitation in the wild for this bug. Uh, the downside is that right now, um, Citrix does not have a patch. They have recommended mitigations. They tell you to update to certain versions, but it's not a complete patch. And some of the mitigations they recommend apparently could break functionality. Oh, really? Or it may not be I a complete I think the fix. mitigation is it puts a, like a responder in, right? Yeah, which is something I'm not super familiar with, but okay. it sounds like you can define a response to that particular attack URL, okay. and it'll handle most cases. Um, but I did hear rumblings that not all cases. Okay. So, And... Um, I thought it was interesting how the researchers found it because mm -hmm. they kind of do a lot of the stuff that we do here on the show. They, they found scanning from a German IP and then a Poland IP on specific ports, you know, 443, kind of a common port, but also 2083, 2087, and 8443, which is a, just a variant of 443. Uh -huh. So, you know, and, and then also it says they, they could see how much sort of internet-facing um, vulnerable endpoints are out there, kind of like... So oh, you're talking about the badpackets.net report yeah. about scanning for this. Right, yeah. yeah, which is interesting because, you, know, you know, that's a lot of those same way you guys do your analysis, the mm -hmm. ways we run through the weather here and what sure. we look for, that, you know, this is a case where that, those same techniques led these researchers to get this all the way out to CVE and everything, so... Yeah. No, it's, I mean, 443 is a great place to be sitting and listening for bugs because, right, right. like, it's, it's a web server. Like, right. you'll find all sorts of stuff. You just have to be able to sift out your own application traffic from known attacks, and then whatever's left is something else that might be worth investigating. Like, right. if I were to look at this and see somebody trying VPN slash dot dot slash VPNs, whatever falls that in the attack, that would be interesting enough to go after, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it's pretty cool. I mean, obviously Citrix is a very well-known company, has plenty of install base. I think Bad Packet said 25,000 internet-connected servers. Yeah, and uh, 4,500 vulnerable ASNs. Wow. So pretty... That's a lot of network, yeah. yeah. Uh, and there is a really good write-up uh, by uh, Alien Labs, okay, our good. very own. So yeah. I, I would recommend people check that out if they want more details uh, awesome. on this. Cool. What do you think, Tony? Um... It's it's bad. It's I mean, if they don't have a patch for it, they're giving you mitigation. It's bad. Um, Matt, did they say anything about though they don't have a patch, but they have a timeline on when something would be released, or did they just say no patch? Here's the mitigation, and then we will let you know later. From what I, I read, um, Citrix is claiming there will be a patch, a permanent patch, available on January twentieth. 
which as of today's filming is still six days away. Um, so it's, yeah. it's still concerning, yeah. With that amount of uh, exposure out there, six days, this has been announced, you know, just kind of fingers crossed that they, they hurry it up and maybe it's four days, three days, but I don't know. Yeah. Well, if you're out there and you're watching the show, um, definitely keep an eye on your Citrix servers. Because, uh, I mean, people use these as gateways into multiple other apps. And it's sort of like a, a, a wedge between those apps and the Internet. So, like, they didn't really want to put their app out on the Internet for some reason. Maybe it wasn't patchable. Maybe it had its own, you know, you know right. issues. And it you seems would like, put Citrix in the way. It seems like we've been seeing a lot of vulnerabilities with some of these sort of... Um, you know, professional, professionally used tools, VPNs, mm -hmm. Citrix, RDP, RDP where yep. you, tools that as a, you know, a, a corporate worker you think are protecting you. And then we're finding that there, there's, you know, it just shows you there's vulnerabilities everywhere, right? But, yeah. you know, like last time I was on, we, we talked about a, a vulnerability in, in the VPN technology itself. Yep. And it's like when you... You know, yeah. if you're using Citrix, if you're using VPN, you think you're putting an extra layer in, but yeah, maybe. Well, well, let's not confuse like software that's meant to provide security with secure software. That's right? yep, absolutely. Mean, the, they're, they're designed to do one thing and not to, to protect against attacks against the software itself. Right. Sometimes. You, you almost wonder if they're they're pivoting from individual things. Like uh, last year and the year before, there was a lot of topics on the show about like. Uh, struts, Tomcat, you know, individual web application sort of stuff. And then now it's more of a general security control or even, you know, something that is very business related, like, you know, VPN for the remote workers and all that. And they're, they're focusing on trying to poke holes through that now. Almost through like the core services. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sure. But I also remember that a few years ago, like, if you want to go core, like, there were a bunch of, like, C-bugs, then there was, there was Shellshock, there was Heartbleed, right. there was, like, core library bugs, yeah. or core language bugs, or, like, protocol-level stuff. Like, if you want to find yourself a bug that lasts for a very long time, that's where, if I were an attacker, I'd spend my time. I understand that, yeah, VPN is a pretty good place to look, too. Right. Um, but, like, for a while there, there was, like, some existential-level bugs yeah. coming out. Um, that are probably not yeah. patched everywhere that they're still present, you know what I yeah. mean? If you're using Citrix, just make sure you follow the mitigation steps, keep your eyes out for a full patch, and be more aware of what's going on in your network to see if, if you happen to fall victim to any active exploit. So Tony, another day, another creatively named malware. Tell us, what is LickerBot? Ah, uh, yes. Liquorbot, another Mirai variant, but this one's got some unique uh, differences compared to uh, some of the other ones that we've discussed in the past. Liquorbot was uh, actually posted online by some Bitdefender researchers. They posted a bunch of information on it, uh, and they discussed some of the unique abilities and characteristics of this one in comparison to standard Mirai variants that, that we see all the time. It was created back in May of last year, uh, 2019. They've gone through about 12 different iterations, you know, revisions of this botnet. Uh, they're going after 12 different uh, variants. The last time that it was updated was about October 10th of last year. And uh, it does have a lot of general characteristics of what we see when we deal with Mirai variants. It attacks via SSH. 
Uh, it, it deals with uh, trying to, you know, use vulnerabilities to get in. Some of the other aspects of it, though, that I find to be very interesting is they did research and they found dropper scripts that actually pair LiquorBot with Mirai at the same time during, during some of the infections that they've seen, which is kind of strange because the main core of this botnet versus standard Mirai stuff is not DDoS. This one does crypto mining. It focuses on Monero. So that's kind of the standard framework of, of this botnet. Some of the unique differences would be in the way that it is actually uh, coded. Um, instead of using standard C or a, a C-type uh, code, it's actually written in the Go programming language. Now, uh, the difference between the two is the Go programming language has uh, a lot of advantages, uh, things similar to uh, garbage collection, uh, memory safety, uh, structured uh, typing. So there's a lot of differences with just the core way that it was written. It is a financially hungry botnet compared to DDoS, so it will try to kick uh, other infections off of the machines. It'll do that by, you know, like port blocking or binding. Uh, different items like that. But in general, uh, it, is, it is a Mirai version. Uh, it is different in the way that it's coded, so it's, it's got a, a completely different structure in, in that aspect. But in general, I found because it was coded that way and uh, how it was uh, seen paired actually with Mirai, I found it to be unique in, compared to some of the other ones that we've seen in the past. And I thought it was worthy to talk about it on, uh, on this show. So... That's why I brought it up. Um, some of my recommendations when it comes down to this sort of stuff is for anyone that's watching, if you do have an inventory out there of uh, machines that are, are susceptible to different Mirai variants, uh, make sure you pay attention to your inventory and, and patch, patch, patch. So um, with that, the, the different uh, things to be concerned about, the CPU architecture, it goes after ARM, ARM64, x86, x64, and a bunch of other architectures as well. So it's, it's, it's robust. Definitely an interesting version of uh, the old Mirai. So it raises a couple of good questions, Tony, specifically around the architectures that are supported. Like we're talking about, there's some x86 and, and maybe some ARM there that sounds like reasonable, you know, if you're running a cryptocurrency mining operation that you maybe you want to run on some of those machines. But what about those other, I mean, it, it seems like if it's still Mirai based and it's still primarily targeting IOT and other low power Linux stuff, is that really a worthwhile mining platform even at, at that scale to get anything worthwhile? I guess it, it comes down to the, not, not necessarily quality of the processing, but the quantity at that point. And you know, there's been debates is it is it better to just have giant farms of video cards versus these little IoT things that are sitting out there? Uh, so I don't know the, the answer to that, but uh, with the way that it goes after all these different architectures and even the brute force in the way that it tries to infect, it doesn't look for the architecture type. It pushes all the payloads down and just starts installing. So if it, if it catches an x86 or a or an arm, it just pushes it all down and sees which one installs. It's, it's, it's kind of, uh, 
I don't know, forceful in that aspect. And I think it's just more about the, the, the quantity at that point. Compared to other Mirai variants, Tony, uh, is this kind of a standard, the latest, or anything particularly new, unique? I know we, we, with the open sourcing of the code, it's probably, we've seen a lot of these, right? Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of different variants. The one that really makes, the one difference that makes this one stand out is its, it's coding. It was programmed in, in the Go programming language, which is different than the standard C-type languages that the other ones were done. I mean, basically, you grab the, the, the base code, you make some tweaks here, uh, more DDoS. You know, they've always had crypto mining, so, but they've stayed in that realm. This one was, was written in a completely different language, and I think that's what really makes it stand out because of how that language functions. Tony, when you say that this malware is paired with Mirai, can you elaborate on what that means? Yeah, so uh, what some of the researchers found um, when this botnet goes out and, and does infections, they found it standalone. But they also found some of the dropper scripts had both variants in, it, in the script, so it does an infection with, with both types. Now, why, I don't know. Uh, and the way that LiquorBot actually functions, where it tries to kick other botnets off of the machines, raises a lot of questions on why some people were using it and pairing both Mirai and LiquorBot together when one's mainly DDoS, the other one's more for financial gain. So they've seen it out there, but I didn't see any research on exactly why or any theories on why both of them were sitting in the same scripts. Treat IoT devices like your laptop, you know, patch them, uh, know your logins, maintain them. Uh, don't forget that there's a, a computer connected to the internet behind your thermostat, you know. So Joe, it's January 14th and a Patch Tuesday. What do you have for us? Yeah, I, I would say, from my experience, this is the most excited I've ever been about a Patch Tuesday. So, uh, if you follow Brian Krebs, uh, Brian Krebs has been kind of building this, uh, the latest Microsoft patch um, released by the NSA, and it's sort of been a really critical Patch Tuesday, where Microsoft released a patch, the NSA sort of took credit for finding the vulnerability that necessitated the patch. And basically it's all around uh, the Crypt32 DLL, which is um, vulnerable in Windows 10 and Windows Server 2016 and 2019. And basically the vulnerability, which in the latest article they say it's not actively being exploited, but I think some of Brian Krebs earlier releases said that maybe it was. So I don't know if, you know, who you believe there, but basically it's, a, it's an issue with the potential capability to spoof certificates, the X509 certs, and you know, getting into what Microsoft calls trusted networks. Kind of dangerous, right? If you think you're using a, a cert a certificate and uh, you, you have a trusted connection and then this vulnerability in the DLL allows uh, spoofing of that cert. So pretty um, critical flaw, uh, it affects TLS. Kind of interesting, I think the newsworthy part of it is, is NSA's direct involvement. Uh, from what Krebs said, you know, NSA a lot of times will find these vulnerabilities, but then just give them to Microsoft, let Microsoft patch them, not sort of claim responsibility. But um, Brian Krebs said that uh, it's part of a new sort of PR campaign of the NSA called Turn a New Leaf where they're uh, you know, trying to tout their uh, vulnerability 
teams and how they're finding stuff and sort of you know do more attribution and and take credit for some of their work and you know this is a big one uh and and to, go let's ahead. not let's not leave out the other half of this i mean this this is patch tuesday so more than one bug is being fixed right not only do we have the crypto api vulnerability you just described we also have vulnerabilities in windows rdp which right. allow for remote code execution which is also critical right you know, that's, yep. this is a service that everybody exposes like we talked about earlier on the show right so that someone can remotely get into a, a, a machine and and administer it that way and now even without authenticating to these these rdp machines this bug can allow you to do remote code execution so two really good yeah. reasons to patch it's a big patch tuesday it's a big <laughs> big patch tuesday yeah um i did want to say the specific to the bug that has to do with crypto api uh -huh. i think it's limited to elliptic curb cryptography i think it's that specific if you, if you use certs that use ecc that's when you have to be concerned i mean Honestly, it's the attack is going to be people using spoofed ECC right. um, to pretend to be somebody that they're not. And that would be, you know, signed code that's not really signed by the author or host certificates that don't actually represent the host they claim to, to represent. But yeah, no, it's a big deal. And, and I agree with you. It's, it's been hyped up over the last 24, 48 yeah. hours. And uh, I think it's warranted. <laughs> yeah. Know, sometimes you get a lot of hype out of, over a lot of nothing. Um, but right. they seem like serious, like for real bugs. And I know DHS um, and, um, you know, uh, defense.gov, a bunch of different government organizations have been putting out bulletins to their own internal teams saying you've got like 10 days to patch. Like, yeah. you got to get this one. Right. Don't ignore this patch Tuesday. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I guess advice wise, you know, Hopefully, Windows Update automatic patching is on. But if if you happen to be one of those uh, organizations or individuals who's you know managing your own uh, Microsoft patches, definitely don't miss today's set because, like you mentioned, there's at least two critical patches, and um, you know some of the stuff you you depend on in Microsoft's OS, you know, it has a potential flaw. So, mm -hmm. oh, certainly, I mean, just imagine just the TLS portion of it. Right. I mean, if you if you can pretend to be, if you can get in the middle of somebody else's traffic and then convincingly pretend to be that site by faking an, uh, an ECC certificate, you can do all sorts of damage. I mean, you can Absolutely. pretend to basically be, I don't know, Amazon if you wanted right. to. Google. Or Google. Yeah, or, right. yeah, or the D Department of Defense. Yeah. Um, or you can tr convince somebody that the update that you're, you're intercepting and pushing to their machine was, was signed by Microsoft. Right. Like, this is like a core functionality is being able to prove that something is what it's claiming to be and this this blows it completely to smithereens yeah it's like it's like we've been saying when you get down to the library the dll level this is something that's pretty core to what you're expecting to be mm -hmm. you know secure code on your software so yep and i think we were saying that windows 10 is a, a, affected by the crypto api stuff yeah and the rdp stuff also applies to windows 7 okay as well and then the server versions as well i'm, I'm reading here so crypto api is 32 or 64 bit windows 10 and then windows server 2016 2019 yeah rdp is windows server 2012 and newer and then windows 7 and newer now the other interesting thing is that i think this is the last patch tuesday where windows 7 is actually going to get patches i think after this it's it's no longer officially getting patches. Now, whether they have some sort of um, yeah, agreement with some companies for extended right. support, you know, I, I can't really say, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a nice bigger one for, uh, to go out, to with, go the out with the bang, right? Yeah. Tony, what do you think? Any thoughts? Scary. 
you know, yeah. the, this this sort of vulnerability is is not something to take lightly, as as you guys said. And definitely patch immediately um, if if there's um, word out there saying you know patch when you can or given X amount of days. I feel that this is one that it shouldn't be X amount of days. It should be grab the patch do your initial testing, get it pushed out and deployed out to your infrastructure right away. It's very, very important. Going back to, you know, the TLS thing you guys were talking about, you know, the websites and all that, but there's also a lot of other aspects that TLS is used. A, a prime example would be uh, doing uh, point-to-point encryption for email, uh, going from one business to another so you are defined as I'm coming from said company. And then you can go into all these other aspects of now that that company believes that I'm someone else, now I can inject a bunch of uh, BEC or, you know, any sort of email communication that maybe they've got different settings in there that if it's coming from said company, they don't have to restrict or do a lot of security around it because it's a trusted source. And then you can allow, you know, the Pandora's box of anything going through through that that form of communication. So this is this is you know something that's it's really really big. And I just hope that people you know just get out there and identify and patch as as quickly as they can with it. Um, I did have a question though. I heard earlier, uh, not during our show, but uh, earlier in the day, that the 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 cryptography one actually wasn't just Windows 10 and uh, uh, the server, but it was all operating systems because the DLL was was much older. Is that an inaccurate statement that I heard? Yeah, I mean, so Microsoft is pointing to these versions, but I think what I saw from Brian Krebs was that he thinks it's likely that these these versions are the ones where this DLL is the most sort of commonly used and and it's criti- okay. most critical but you're right this DLL probably exists in older versions but I think his read on it at least is that it's you know that's those are the versions where crypt 32 is is most you know critically used hmm. I guess we're gonna have to wait and see what the analysis is right yeah like you you had said before the show Matt that you know this is breaking like this happened we were you we were, know, we were trying to squeeze it into the yeah, show. We yeah, we were following tweets and okay. chatting about it all morning. And, you know, probably in the next couple of days, even before, you know, our show publishes, there will be more details on what exactly the situation is, mm-hmm. what's affected, um, how it came about. So we're probably, you know, hopefully late in the game enough to inform everybody. But I'm sure there's more to come on this. I agree. So the short answer to what you should do is patch. And at this point, there's no better mitigation than just patching. So highly recommended that everyone patch. All right, Joe, let's take a look at this week's internet weather. This is the top 10 most probed ports by volume. You can see that there are a number at the top that did not change their rank this week, which is a little surprising. Uh, but you can see number five shot up from number 61 yeah. uh, from 66th place. So we'll run through them. Uh, 23 TCP is Telnet, 1433 is MS SQL Server, 80 ICMP is Ping, 445 TCP is SMB Server, 69 UDP is TFTP, or Tiny File Transfer Protocol. We'll talk about that in a second. 8545 TCP is Ethereum GF Server, 3389 is Desktop Protocol, 81 TCP is up by 5, that's a, a, like a generic web port, a lot of times you see it on IoT devices. Uh, 22 TCP is SSH, 80 TCP is plain old web. 
looking at the most sources probing. That's individual hosts sending traffic and not overall volume of traffic. This is a first for me. Yeah, I have never so. seen the ranks not change between yeah. weeks, and this week, not a single one has changed spot. If you watched last week, you're covered. Yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> basically. I mean, they've all not changed relative to each other. I think right, that's right. the important part. There may be fluctuations within that data, but no one's overtaken anybody else. Um, most of these ports we've talked about already, but I want to just call out uh, 8080 is another alternate web port. 8291, I believe, is a MicroTik router-specific port. Uh, 5555 is Android Debug Bridge. 00ICMP is Echo Reply. Um, Taking a look at Telnet mostly because it's at the top of the list, but also just to show the last time I was on the show and talked about this uh, is that spike back there mm. back in November. Um, so we thought that might be the start of a larger trend. Uh, clearly, that's not the case. In fact, it's down overall from the average from even back in October. Uh, so yeah. Telnet slowly maybe trending downwards uh, and nothing really to report in terms of changes there. I just wanted to show that. And that's, that's probably... Typically, that's IoT-related stuff, right? Uh, a lot of the time it is, yeah. I mean, Telnet is mostly, I want to say mostly gone from real Linux deployments or other like major servers, but IoT yeah. boxes, for whatever reason, seem to keep it open. Yeah. So, uh, This is 69 UDP. This is Tiny, or Trivial File Transfer Protocol. Um, it's also used a lot, at least in my experience, in, um, and IoT devices, or they're very low power ones that don't want to have a whole FTP implementation, okay. but just want to be able to go and grab a single file from a server. The primary source for this, this massive uptick that we're seeing in flows is the Netherlands. Okay. Um, I don't really have a great expect, uh, explanation for it. I don't know of any new vulnerabilities that might be a result of it. Someone might be interested in finding these servers and trying to like, guess the individual files. It's, I think, and I may be wrong on this, but it, I've, I've remembered trying to use TFTP in the, back in the day, and you had to know exactly what your files were because you yeah. couldn't do a directory listing. You just have to be like, I know it's here, I'm getting this file, ask for it by path and name. I wonder, I don't know if that's changed, but... I mean, that's a lot of volume, though. It is a ton of volume, yeah. right? I mean, the scan flows, you know, the highest that we're seeing over here on, like, the day before Christmas is, is 40,000, 40, 40, yeah. 40 times 70 to the 6. Uh, 40 million? 40 million, yeah. And now we're up to 280 flows? That's crazy. Yeah. So Probably someone's really going for think it. more than one researcher or one group of researchers even could do, so. I mean, that, that's the thing. It's a, it's a single it's IP a single address IP. source in the Netherlands, which is, I mean, if, if it was a set of researchers and they had like a, a slash 24 designated for it, yeah. that's what I would expect. I really don't know what this is. Right. I wish we had some sample like traffic to look right. at, but we'll see if, it, if anything comes out of it. I mean, Definitely. maybe the next couple of weeks we'll find out that someone did this as part of some sort of internet survey to say, I found a vulnerability and this is the ex exposure on the internet, but who knows. Cool. Another one I wanted to mention that didn't make it to the top 10, but we had an alarm in terms of volume change uh, is this 37215 TCP. I know we've talked about this port in the past. This is the Huawei HD532 service port that has a known, um, I think it's a code execution bug, uh, a remote code execution, um, for this specific model of Huawei device. And you can see somebody out there is interested. In fact, it's a handful of sources in the US, Netherlands, Italy, and Denmark, I think, is DE. Um, yeah, again, in like 55 million scan flows per hour for this. So it's, it's not a new bug by any standard, so it might just be a new population of, of maybe a new instance of Mirai or something like that. They have this collections of IoT right. vulnerabilities trying to spread themselves. So, seems like uh, more to come on a bunch of these. Yeah, usually. I mean, scanning never stops. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
it's been a while since we've seen like a really new revolutionary new bug show up in this Mirai scanning stuff though. Right. So who knows? I mean, maybe it's just somebody else catching onto this bug and adding another botnet to it. You can see in the last 30 days, there hasn't been so much until now. The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.